think we can say amen to that. Thank you all. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. It's on page 885, if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs there. While you're turning there, I just want to encourage you to take advantage of this uh, signing up for Vacation Bible School today and hopping on out there. Um, we need children to have Vacation Bible School, of course. We also need volunteers. So if you have uh, any interest that can help in any way that week, uh, they would love to see you out there and talk to you about how you can help. Um, and also just encourage y'all to pray as we prepare for Vacation Bible School over the next month or two. We are in Luke chapter 24 this morning, and what we're doing is we're going to go back to where we were at Easter a couple weeks ago and pick up where we left off. And this is the time where Jesus, after he's risen from the dead, starts showing up places. And people don't know what to do about it and don't know what to do with it. But what we'll see here is an account where Jesus appears, and he's with two people, and they don't know that it's him. And all the things that come out of that and ensue from that, we're going to look at this morning in God's Word. So this is Luke chapter 24, and let me jump in and read it here. This is the Word of God to us. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. 
And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we study his word. Father, today we have the same need as those two on the road to Emmaus. And that is the need to see Jesus, to recognize Him, and to know that He is with us, to believe in Him. So we pray that You would teach us during this time this morning, that You would open our eyes and open our hearts to receive Your Word, that Your Holy Spirit would be at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in high school, I went to a college football game. Uh, My parents and many members of my family had gone to NC State University, and so we had gone to attend the game there. They were playing Duke that day. I know that's not really exciting here in SEC country, but we had gone, and after the game, uh, I was walking around the stadium with my cousin Jeff, and he's several years older than me. He was probably in his young 30s at the time. And we were walking around the stadium, and all of a sudden we saw someone approaching, and it was someone who, who looked familiar. And you know, being in high school, being somewhat of a know-it-all, I guess, at that time, I knew that's Mike Shanahan, the head coach of the NFL's Denver Broncos. And this is back when the Broncos, you know, of course, they were good this past year too, I guess. They won the Super Bowl. Back when they were winning the other Super Bowls, back in the mid-'90s. And so I saw him coming, I'm like, there's Mike Shanahan. He's a somewhat famous person. What do I say? What do I do? How do I look cool? But my cousin Jeff, he wasn't quite sure who this was approaching. And so he began to kind of like stare awkwardly at him and began to walk toward Mike Shanahan. I'm going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And as he, he gets close to him, he, he, looks, he looks at him. He says, excuse me, sir. Did anyone ever tell you, you look just like that guy who coaches the Denver Broncos? (laughs) And Mike Shanahan graciously uh, laughed and introduced himself and said, I I actually am that guy. And so when you think about that this morning, maybe you've had a situation sometime where you saw someone, you weren't quite sure who they were, or maybe you weren't sure who you were recognizing or who this really was. And you think about that, and then we go to this passage, and we see here two people who are walking along the road, and Jesus comes up and walks with them, and they don't, they don't really recognize him. They're not quite sure who this is. And then we have this very interesting conversation that takes place afterwards. You see these two, they're, they're trudging along the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Uh, they're, as we read in the passage, they're sad. They're in despair. They're weighed down by the events that have taken place. They're discuss, discussing the cross. They're talking about the tomb. They're talking about the reports of Jesus being alive. And as they're having this conversation, they're joined by a stranger. A stranger that they're kept from recognizing. You see, Jesus himself, he walks with them. They don't know it's him. He drops in on their conversation. And he hears their discussion of the events of the day. We see their despair. We see that their faces are downcast. As they begin to tell the stranger about the things that have happened, and about Jesus. So we read this passage, you know, we might chuckle a little bit at this whole scenario. It just seems kind of funny that Jesus is right there, they don't know it's Him, and they're telling Him all the things about Him. But 
as we read this, we recognize this is a very dark hour for these folks. The very foundation of what they have believed have been shaken. Their vision's blurry. And as we hear the account, as we listen to the things they say, perhaps we begin to identify with these two. Because we, too, find ourselves sometimes, don't we? Perhaps trudging along the road of life, not sure exactly what to do with things that have happened in our own lives or how to understand God's purpose. And so we have the same need that those two had that day. It's the need to, to see the risen Christ clearly and to know that he is walking with us. It's the need to rest upon him for salvation. And so the question is, how do we, how do we access that? How do we see Jesus, the risen Christ, particularly when we find ourselves disillusioned at times? like the two on the road to Emmaus. The good news for them and, and for us this morning is that we're not left to our, ourselves to figure this thing out. Jesus himself draws near, near to us. It says that right in the passage. That I love that phrase. Jesus himself drew near to them. And he draws near to us as well. So as we look at this, first we, wanna, we want to see and what Jesus is going to do here for them is he's basically going to tell them, hey, remember me even though they don't know it's him yet. It says, hey, remember me. Remember who I am and what I've done for you. So as Jesus strolls along with these two people, they begin to talk about who Jesus is, and they, they say a lot of things that are, that are right and good. They say that Jesus was a prophet, that he was mighty indeed and were before God and all the people. That's true. The chief priests and rulers delivered him to death and crucified him. That certainly happened as well. But then they say this phrase, but, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And now it's the third day and the women are saying the body is gone. No one has seen him. And this is where we see the doubt and the despair and even the sadness set in. Not only are they grieving the death of Jesus, which is someone, you know, as we read between the lines here, we see they, they knew Jesus. They had been with the disciples at times. They they had followed him. Um, they're, they're not only grieving the death of Jesus, the loss of a friend, they're also grieving this hope that they had, that they thought he was it, that he was the one, that he was the Messiah. And now as these events have taken place and they've seen the suffering and death, just like the disciples, they had, they had gone into grief. In their passage, as we look at their account, they, they knew that something was supposed to happen the third day. They had picked up that there was, perhaps they had been there when Jesus had referenced it earlier, that he would die and rise again on the third day. And so they knew on some level that these things were going to happen, but they couldn't quite put it all together and understand what was happening at that moment. They weren't seeing things clearly, but Jesus had drawn near and he was going to help them remember who he is, what he has done, what he's going to do. And friends, when, when we find ourselves in the same place, when our vision gets a little blurry, when the sufferings of life enter the picture, and perhaps we don't recognize that Jesus is, has drawn near and he's right beside us, we must remember who Jesus is. We must remember what he's accomplished for us. That he is the risen Lord, that he has conquered death and sin. Verse 25, as Jesus rebukes them, he says that 
O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He is saying to them and to us that we must remember. We must remember who Jesus is and what He has done. Verse 26, He says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? So it invites us here to recognize that these things needed to happen. That Jesus had to die and to rise again for us and for our salvation. In order for our sins to be paid for, in order for justice to be satisfied, in order for death to be conquered, there had to be suffering in order for there to be glory. So Jesus tells these two on the road to Emmaus that all these things that they're talking about, that they're downcast and defeated about, are actually the very things that will lead to joy for them. These were the things that were necessary for your salvation to be accomplished. And as we think about how the necessity of the suffering and death of Jesus and how that is needed for us, we're also reminded it's sufficient for us as well, that it is enough for us. That when we face the difficulties and trials of life, when burdens are placed on us that perhaps we didn't ask for, when we can't see Jesus clearly in the midst of our trials, we must remember, we must rest in the sufficiency of what he has accomplished for us and what he's done for us. It was sufficient to forgive our sins. It was sufficient to overcome death. It was sufficient to open the way for us to have a relationship with the God of the universe who cares for us and sustains us through the storms of life. So we must remember who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And Jesus goes further, and he reminds them here that they're to remember him, but they're also to receive the message of God's word. That they're to receive the scriptures and to claim its promises. So we look at verse 25. He doesn't say to them, hey, how slow of heart are you to realize that I'm not right here? Hey, it's me. Come on, guys. He doesn't say anything like that. That that wasn't actually their their first problem. Instead, he says, you don't believe all the scriptures. So that, that's the issue here. The prophet said that Christ had to suffer all these things that you were talking about and enter into his glory. Verse 27, Jesus then kind of delivers a sermon to him that I'm sure we would all love to hear. Where he goes from Moses to the prophets from start to finish going through the whole of the Old Testament, explaining that the Scriptures were pointing to Him, living, dying, being raised from the dead, ascending into heaven, being seated at the right hand of God. Jesus says, if you want to see Me clearly, if you want to know Me, you must believe what the Word of God has to say about Me. So Jesus does that. He shows these two by interpreting the Old Testament, showing how it all points to Him. And he uses the whole Old Testament. If you look at verse 44 of Luke 24, a little past where we were in our passage today, when he goes and he appears before the disciples later in this chapter, he says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so what Jesus is, is telling us, what he's doing us, he's given us the the main categories of the Old Testament. He's saying the whole thing is pointing to me and it's talking about me. 
and he says the whole Bible points to him. In my parents' house, uh, there's a room above the garage, and you know, usually rooms above the garage are they're kind of like the cool room in the house, right? That's where you put the pool table or something. Um, and in that room, there's on the wall a lot of puzzles. Uh, my dad was uh, into puzzles for a long time, and he would put them together, and he would glue the back or whatever and display them uh, up in that room. And one of the puzzles that you'll see if you ever go there um, is it's a, a giant 3D mosaic puzzles. And I don't know if you've seen these, but basically the idea is each puzzle piece has a lot of little tiny pictures, but in the very end, when you step back, you see a big picture. And when we think about you know, Jesus talking about the Old Testament, you know, and we read through the Old Testament ourselves, we see, we see these little pictures. We see snapshots of things. And we see, see that, and we kind of look at them individually. And sometimes we have to step back, though, and look at the whole big picture. And the whole big picture of the Old Testament is Jesus, right? That he is coming to rescue and to redeem God's people. Some of these little pictures that we see that add up to it, if we were to go through Genesis 3, right? It talks about how there's a seed coming that will crush the head of the serpent, and that's Jesus. When we get to the law being given in Exodus chapter 20, we're reminded, you know, and we see all throughout the Old Testament how we failed as God's people to keep the law God had given. But that Jesus had come to fulfill the law and to do what we couldn't do. We see the priests of the Old Testament in different places. They're offering sacrifices day after day. But Jesus comes. He lays down his life once as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And as our great high priest, he intercedes for us. We remember the judges and the kings who led the people. And now we have the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. We read the words of Isaiah that there is a promised suffering servant who would come and suffer and die. And in Jesus, he has come. We even remember stories like Jonah. He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In the Gospels, it tells us that one greater than Jonah has come and is here. And we can keep going through the whole Old Testament where we see these, these pictures, these snapshots, and we see them up close. And when we, we step back, we look, and there's Jesus. In the most difficult times for the disciples and these two on the road to Emmaus, perhaps they had lost sight a little bit of the big picture. But now Jesus draws near, and he opens the Scriptures to them, reminding them that just as the people of the Old Testament were in need of a Savior, that they were in need of a Savior too, and that he had come, and that he was that Savior. He reminds them of the promises that God had given them of the reality that the word of God had spoken, that Christ was coming to live, die, and rise again, deliver his people. As we go back to our passage, you know, as they're going along, they still don't recognize Jesus yet. So all this has happened. He's telling them all these things, and they still don't quite know who he is. So the time comes, it's getting near night, it's time to, to go in. They urge him to stay with them. So in the very least, they like this guy who was walking with them. They said, man, this guy, he's telling us all about the scriptures. We can at least have him over for the evening. Um, and so they invite him to stay. 
and he's fellowshipping with them, and he's eating with them. And it's at that moment, all of a sudden, their eyes are open. They see the risen Christ is right there in the room with them. Plain as day, right there in front of their eyes. It was him the whole time, and he disappears. He's gone. Poof. I don't know how that happens. It's a post-resurrection Jesus thing that he does that no one else can do, right? But that's what happens. And so there they are, and they're kind of left. Just think about that for a second, what that, what that would feel like and be like, huh? Like, what, what happened? What was that? And all of a sudden, they start talking about it. And here's what they say. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Wasn't there just something going on inside? Weren't our hearts just burning when he was doing that? I don't think they were reaching for the Tums. This is a different type of heartburn. It's the type of heartburn that we all want to have as followers of Christ. It's the type where the Holy Spirit is, is working in us and we're captured by the truth of God's Word. And there's a fire that ignites where we believe that no matter what may happen today or tomorrow, that Jesus Christ is the risen Lord and that we have eternity ahead of us because of what He has done for us. And that flame begins to ignite and spread, and it's just living for, for Him, living for His glory, and even taking His message into the world. Look what it does to these two on the road to Emmaus. Their hearts have been burning. Jesus has disappeared. And all of a sudden, everything changes. You see, they, they had wanted this stranger to stay with them because it was getting toward night, and they didn't, they're like, hey, we don't need to be going out there. It's night. There could be danger on the road. It's time to kind of come in. We'll pick up tomorrow morning on our journey. All of a sudden, the same folks who had kind of trudged along that road to Emmaus, who were worried about the dangers of night, they've turned around, it says, that very same hour. <laughs> they turned around and ran, ran back. They ran to go find the disciples. They couldn't wait to talk about this story to encourage their fellow believers in Christ that Jesus had came to visit, that He was actually here, that He has risen. This morning, as we, as we hear this, what, as we see the response that they have, what, the question is, what response do we have? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ gotten hold of us? Is there a flame that's, that's burning? Perhaps maybe it, it seems dim. Do we, maybe we're showing signs sometimes of fatigue or apathy, maybe even despair. I know that happens for me sometimes. But know this this morning, that if, if you're in Christ, if you've trusted Him by faith, wherever you may be on that spectrum, as far as how your heartburn is, know this, that He draws near to you. That He has given you His Word. He's given you an open line to walk and to talk with Him. He's brought you in a community with fellow travelers on the road. And it's not the road to Emmaus. It's the road to eternity that He has put us on together. What the disciples on the road to Emmaus experienced in that brief time, that's what we can have daily with Christ. So maybe this morning, Part of our prayer coming out of this is that we ask God to to rekindle the flame. 
to build it up so that we burn with love for him and for others. John Wesley, um, in 1738, uh, he talks about in his journal a time where he had uh, some heartburn like this. And he says this, and I, I, I read this because I think it's the first sentence is really telling. He says that in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society on Aldersgate Street. So he's saying, I didn't want to go, right? <laughs> there was something happening. I didn't want to go, okay? Wasn't excited about it. Wasn't pumped up about, wasn't pumped up about it. A society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. So someone's reading what Martin Luther has to say about the book of Romans. Okay, that sounds like a good Friday night, doesn't it? All right. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. So, y'all, that's John Wesley, one of the great founders and leaders of the, the American church in a lot of ways. And God got a hold of him, and his heart burned as he heard the word of God. If we want to see Jesus clear, clearly, we must remember who he is and what he's done. We must receive the message of the scriptures, receive the word of God, reclaim the promises he has given to us. And finally, as we close up here, we'll see that we're given this task to relay the message of the gospel to others. And as we relay it, we see how God is at work in the lives of others as well as ourselves. You see the two on the road to Emmaus, they had turned around, they had a sense of urgency. Everything's moving a lot faster now. And they run to tell the disciples. They run to encourage their brothers and sisters about what has happened. And so this is, this is the response of a heart that burns. It's, it's to actually take that message and share it with others. And maybe immediately we start asking questions, well, what if there are difficulties? What, what if they don't receive it? Maybe we think about even our own families. What, what about our kids as we talk with them? What if they're, they're not getting it somehow? And this passage not only gives us a sense of urgency in regards to sharing the message of the gospel, but it gives us comfort and encouragement as we do so. We ask the question, okay, who was it that opened the eyes of these two on the road to Emmaus? Did they all of a sudden kind of have a duh moment where they're like, oh, oh yeah, Jesus, that's you, that's right. Sorry, we, we missed it there for a while. No, it says, verse 31, says their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened by God himself. See, they had been walking with Jesus for the better part of a day, but they, they did not see him until he revealed himself to them. And that's how God works. But not only that, think for a minute how Jesus revealed himself to them. And let this be an encouragement to you. He walked along the road with them. Okay? He was present with them. He went to their house. He shared a meal with them. It was in the normal, ordinary moments where Jesus shared himself with these two on the road to Emmaus. If I may, I'd like to, to speak to parents for a minute, which means I'm going to talk to myself, and you, you have to listen. And this also applies, I think, in friendships and 
as we uh, think about coworkers, family members, anybody we come in contact with. Um, as many of you are daily you know, teaching and putting Jesus in front of your children, there may be times where you feel like it's Emmaus Road all over again, and it doesn't seem like things are clicking, right? It doesn't seem like the quarter's dropping in the machine. It doesn't seem like they're, they're getting it. And it may seem that, that they know the facts about Christianity, but maybe it seems like it's not all connecting as far as how, how life is being lived and things like that. And, and so maybe we begin to question, you know, what are we doing here? But know this, that God has a way of taking those daily moments and the faithful putting forth of who he is and what he's done and the faithful um, teaching and living out of his word those ordinary times, in the ordinary times where we, we love and we, we get with them and we hold them and we forgive them and all those things, he takes those ordinary things and he makes their hearts begin to simmer. And then one day, it starts to burn. And God, God is at work and he's doing things, even in the most mundane of the things we do daily. And their eyes are open to to know and to believe and to trust Jesus and to embrace Him by faith. So this morning, whether it's parents with our children or maybe there's a co-worker you have, maybe, um, maybe as a son or daughter, your parents or a friend, whatever the situation may be, our response is to consistently put Jesus in front of people. And what we say and what we believe and what we do to proclaim God's Word to them, to love them, to pray for their hearts to start to burn, to trust God, to open the eyes of their hearts, to see the risen Christ, and to trust Him by faith. A little over a week ago, there was an article in the New York Times, and it was entitled, Risk of Collapse at Jesus' Tomb Unites Rival Christians. Okay, let me read that one more time. It's not an Onion headline, it's an actual New York Times. Risk of Collapse at Jesus' Tomb Unites Rival Christians. And the long story short is that there's a place in Jerusalem that there's a shrine around what many believe is the tomb of Jesus. The structure around the tomb is on the verge of collapsing. And there's three groups there, the Greek Orthodox, the Armenian Orthodox, and Roman Catholics. And those three groups kind of have control over various aspects of the shrine that's around the tomb. And... Over the years, they've actually fought a lot. There was actually a literal brawl in 2008, apparently, um, around Jesus' tomb. Just think about that for a minute. And so, but they've actually, in this case, they've come together to repair the shrine before everything collapses. It's a very interesting article. You should go read it. It's, it's fascinating. What caught my eye was at the very end, there were a couple of quotes from people about what it was like to be at the tomb. And so one person who was a conservationist named Mario Polo, had this to say, This tomb is the most alive place, more so than anything I've seen in my life. The greatest challenge we have is to preserve that. Another visitor had this to say, This is a very super experience of my spirit. The world cannot give me the feeling I get from this tomb, this place. It is a very sacred place. Friends, it with respect to those who spend time in the tomb and those who are preserving it um, and are 
preserving archaeology, all those things are good. Y'all, we have something far greater than the tomb itself. We have the risen Christ who lives. He is the one who is the most alive. And he lives in us. And he appeared after his resurrection to two travelers, to his disciples, to many others. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He intercedes for us in prayer. He rules and reigns as our risen king. And he has drawn near and is walking with us. He's given us a community of believers to encourage one another as we walk this road to eternity and to share what burns within our hearts. That Christ, he's risen, he's risen indeed. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would take this word and impress it upon our hearts in such a way that we see our need for Christ, that we see the comfort that we have that he has drawn near to us, and that you would work in us, and that you would work in others that we know, uh, that we would, that our hearts would burn, and that theirs would as well with the flame of the good news that Christ is risen, uh, that, he is, that death cannot hold him, that he is the most alive, uh, and that we are alive with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.